Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Be Better Tomorrow. I'm your host, Jason Fisher. This month, we're going to hear from Dia Irvi, a wonderful woman who's lived in over 15 states, planting and raising up churches, but also operating a tea room, being a realtor. The common thread in her life has been building real community through what she calls claiming individuals. I'll let her explain what that's all about, but she's also a published author, a connector, an adventurer, a catalyst, and she's on a mission to help other leaders know how to claim their people. Now, let's hear from Dia Irby. All right, Dia, welcome to the show. I just told everybody a little bit about our conversation, but why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? I am living in North Carolina in the Research Triangle area in Durham. I am married. We just celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary. We are the parents of eight children. And finally, after 42 years, we became empty nesters. Our youngest is a rising junior in college. And we are expecting grandchild number 16 this month and number 17 in November. So our community has expanded immensely. And that's what I'm passionate about. I'm also a realtor in the area. And that's about building community. Some people might call it building your tribe. That's sort of a more avant-garde word, I guess, but building community. Because everywhere we've been and everything we've done, I realize that we've built community. Well, it seems like you have an unfair head start with eight children and 16 grandchildren, but congratulations on 45 years. That's amazing. I actually just had lunch with another friend who's celebrating 45 years with his wife. I love those stories. I hope to be there in another 29 years if I'm doing my math right. So that's wonderful because you talk about building community as a leader in your organization, but also in your personal life as well, right? Right. And I think a lot of times we we focus on one and not the other. So it'll be interesting to hear how we can do both. We had just got into a conversation about food and community that was really interesting. So let's pick that back up now that we're recording. Um, you had said that you found a connection there. It was, it was really interesting. First, let me go back to what I think about community. Community is more than just being connected. It's about being what I've defined as being claimed. Taking the word claim, C-L-A-I-M, each letter stands for something. And in that, the C stands for chosen, L is loved, A is acknowledged, I is invested in, and M is made for greatness. And I've realized that in everything we've done, my husband was a pastor for 35 years, and we did church planting, which means we had seven people that wanted a church in Central Florida, so we moved there to build a church. Then we've done church renewal, where we went to this grandiose church building that had 17 members. They'd all died off or not grown, and people in the town felt like they couldn't come because they didn't have a Cadillac. We had to build community there and helping people belong. And if you look at the word claim, that's how we approached it. But in that, in acknowledging people and investing in people, I realized that one of the ways we accomplished that was through food. When in doubt, do a dinner. We would invite people over to our home 
we had the visitor Sunday once a month. Anybody that's been visiting the church could come to our house after Sunday service and eat. And then also our family, you know, with eight kids, you've got a lot of cooking, but you also have an opportunity to sit down at the meal, have a conversation. Sure. Did you find success having people over after church in just the South? Because that seems like a Southern thing you can get away with, but up North, we don't like talking to strangers. But they're not strangers if they come to your house. They are until they get there. <laughs> that's, that's, that was going to seem really weird to a lot and of that's, people. Well, you've met them at church. They have basically entered into a relationship with you by visiting your church. We are acknowledging your interest in us. We're going to invest in you with our time and our food and our home. And then they feel loved. Love meaning they're in a safe and secure environment that someone is going out of their way to do something. They've decided to visit. And then you're saying, I recognize you put out that effort. Now I'm going to put out an effort to build on that relationship. And a lot of things happen around the dinner table not just the eating, Mm -hmm. conversation. You can have a friendly conversation over food and be disagreeing with each other. They may disagree with you, and that's great because you want dialogue. You want people in the safe environment. And with our family, when we would have family meals, it was very often that at the end of the meal, of course, a lot of our children came along when nobody had cell phones. And that was very helpful. I know some people, their lives are hectic. For one, they can't get together for once a week uh, with a family meal. But they also are sitting at the table with their cell phones, which is not acknowledging the other people or letting them know they're made for greatness. And it drives me through a restaurant and see a family at a table and they're all heads down in their phones. They're, they're at dinner with each other, but they're not engaged with one another. They're not, like you said, acknowledging one another. It's like, well, you have to be here because I'm obligated by law to feed you. So just mind your own business over there. It's just sad. When I walk through like, we go out to be together, to, to hang out, to talk, to engage in conversation. I've seen jokes online where if you're fran- you know, friends, everyone puts their phone on the table. First one to reach for their phone has to pay for the meal. And that, uh, that slows people down from <laughs> grabbing their phone. That's right. I just was watching a YouTube video today where the person said, if we go, if a group of friends are going out to eat, everybody leaves their phone at home, except maybe one person who can call Uber, because who are you going to call? You're with all your friends. Right. That is not investing in the people that you're with. When we would gather with our family for a meal, we would pose questions with the kids. Of course, we would ask, how was your day and anything funny happen or anything challenged, but it would be also an opportunity to basically teach ethics. We'd ask a question, what would you do if your friend did something wrong and you knew it, would you challenge them on it? Would you join them? Would you tell somebody? Give them an opportunity to think through it. You know, it's it's just like, I don't know, practicing a sport. 
the shortstop doesn't decide the first time he catches the ball in a game where he's going to throw the ball. He knows they mm -hmm. practice. If the, if the runner's here and he catches the ball there, then this is what you do with the ball. So why do we not train our children around the dinner table and conversation? Well, it causes problems with my kids because then they expect their friends to have those conversational skills and they don't. So they actually get frustrated. But I tell them eventually they'll catch up and they should just keep pursuing their friends in love and doing what they need to do to build those relationships. That's realistic. Well, do people take time to have conversations? Do they invest in, a, in people around a dinner table? If you have a meal at the same time together, a lot of times it's because you had pizza delivery. You're teaching your kids how to debate and dialogue too. And well, it was sure. okay if they didn't agree with us. Right, as your long as you can back it up with a good argument, then you're fine to disagree with me. I have that adventure, Absolutely. That adventure when, like, Laura and I are recording our podcast, oftentimes we disagree on the topic of the book or a, which character was interesting. But if, if she can defend her point of view, then her opinion is valid and we can move on. I just get frustrated, of course, if she doesn't have a good argument. <laughs> and I'm trying to train her in, in building that up. Your claim, uh, I guess it's an acronym because it actually spells acronym. something. Yes. Um, you, we had talked in, in, in some of our earlier conversations about using that uh, as a leader, you know, even in a business world kind of place. So it's not just about family around the dinner table, but also helping to build teams. Uh, could you give me a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, because this concept is applicable in any arena of life where a person is responsible for another person. If a team leader wants to have productive team members, wants them to be committed, see there are three things in community, three components of a community that are necessary. You've gotta have communication, you've gotta have compassion, and you've gotta have a common cause. So if you're in a business, your common cause would be project that you're working on that's your common cause and if you have compassion or a there might be a better word but it starts with the c and that works for me <laughs> <laughs> that's fine three components um compassion means i'm gonna allow you to say how we should do this project and i'm not going to criticize you i'm going to listen to you and then communication, of course, is letting people know what the expectations are and communicating if they're off target, you know, whatever. So, and in order to achieve those three components, communication, compassion, and common cause, I've realized that the people you're working with need to feel not just connected, but they need to feel claimed. They need to feel the sense of belonging that they feel claimed. And if you look at each one of C-L-A-I-M, if you apply that, then your team members will produce more. You'll have fewer employee turnover, which will bottom line save you money because I think it takes about a year's salary to replace an employee if they quit. 
just as far as training costs and recruiting costs. Yes. It's probably more than we'd care to admit. I don't know if that, how close that is. I've never done the research, but either way, we know, we know turnover is expensive. If you are applying this claim to your employees, you'll see the results. And in my research of what industry has the greatest turnover of employees, two of the top industries are fast foods and grocery stores. So how do you explain Chick-fil-A, who has an incredible high retention of their store managers and employees, or I don't know if you have in Ohio Trader Joe's. I can explain Chick-fil-A. It's because the chicken is addictive and you can't possibly leave when you have access to it. (laughs) Well, that's true too. Yes. And the ice cream. But for example, Well, it's the investment they make in their employees. I have a friend whose daughter works for Chick-fil-A here in Durham. The manager has the new workers come to his house for a cookout. Ah, food. Well, of course, Mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A food too. He is investing in them. He puts them through all kinds of training. And they they have support programs for college scholarships. I mean, they are investing in their people, not to mention the fact that they teach their people that work there to claim the customers, it's my pleasure to serve you. I had a waitress at another restaurant, and when I said thank you, she said my pleasure, and I asked her, did you used to work at Chick-fil-A? And she did. She'd worked there for a few years, and she just, you know, had never shaken the habit, but you don't hear that unless it's a Chick-fil-A. Right. And it should be everybody's pleasure to serve you. So they're training, they're, they're training their employees for life, life skills. I'm sure that the young people that do this job to earn the, get the scholarships and maybe work at Camp Windshape and do the service projects that Chick-fil-A is involved in, I'm sure that not all of them hope to one day be a store manager. But... It's they know that they're being invested in, and as long as they can work there, they will. And the Trader Joe's, I ask the people that work there, everybody seems to be so happy. Why do you, why? And they say, well, they treat us right. Uh, I was doing some research on Trader Joe's, and um, they rotate people. You never stay in one position more than an hour. If you're checking out, you only check out for an hour and then you go stock. Or after an hour, you go do the sample of whatever they're doing. And they're always rotating people around. And there's so much that happens through that. Everybody knows everything in the store. You can ask anybody where something is and they can help you, which makes the customers happy which makes them come back, which makes the store successful, which makes the employees happy. And uh, then there are benefits that they have. The store is investing and acknowledging the needs of their employees and they're, they're treating them with respect that they're made for greatness and they've chosen them to work there. And it is a supportive, loving environment. 
if everybody that you're responsible for feels chosen, it makes a world of difference. Did you ever play a game on the playground and they had two teams and the captains were chosen and then the captains had to choose players? Sure. Okay. The first one picked, they felt pretty special. The last one maybe got picked because of default. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to go over there because you're the last one and they don't have as many. But that so, whole, the, the positive feeling that you get when you're chosen, like they want me, so it's beneficial. If we're talking about the workplace, it's easy to feel chosen when you've just been hired because you obviously beat out all the other candidates. They chose you for that role. But I often come into teams, and I'm sure other leaders have too, where the teams are established. You, know, you didn't get to choose those people. So how, what are ways that you could recommend or have heard of, of managers or leaders coming in and helping their team to feel chosen, even if the manager wasn't the one who chose them? I'm going to turn that question back to you. What do you think are some ways? Oh, that's not fair at all. This is my show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've worked under some great managers who are, who are kind of in that situation. And they, I might be confusing their letters, but I, I, they invested in us individually. So they would take us to they would have lunch meetings with us, again, back to food, have those offline conversations where you could be a little less formal. They would make sure that you knew you were a part of that team, that you could be heard. Um, and so whether it's the chosen specifically or any of these other points that you're making, I felt, I, I felt that they cared about me as an individual. So I didn't want to disappoint them. It was more, you know, the company's the company, they're going to make money no matter what, but I don't want to let this person down because she's done this much for me or she cares about me. And I want that, to, I want that to be reciprocal and I want that to continue. Right. And they chose to make that investment in you. They chose to acknowledge your ideas and efforts. In some sense, they all blend together because you're being claimed. In another sense, they can be separated out if you want to. But generally speaking, you were being claimed by that, that leader that was doing a great job, that was giving you value. And because that person is investing it's say that person is saying i'm choosing you to invest in so you may be given or you may inherit a group of people to work with but you still have to choose whether you're going to work with them or choose how you're going to work with them right yeah, and I think that, that kind of boils down to the difference between leaders and managers. Leaders are usually about leading the people, building them up, and helping them grow. Managers are about kind of getting the job done in the details. I've read, exactly. I've read a lot of John Maxwell books, and he says, you know, the bottom line is leadership is influence. You might be a positional leader. You got the title, so you're, you got the job as a manager, but those people will only follow you as far as their job depends on it until – You've uh, grown to be more of a people leader, invested in them, claimed them, if you will, and shown them how much you care. And then they're doing the work not simply to keep their job, but because they care about you, they care about the work, they care about the company, they care about each other. And there's more of a team or a family unit being created there, which drives people to, to better things, to be made for greatness than simply, I'm afraid I'm going to get fired, so I'll have to do the, the bare minimum to get by. All right, so whether it's starting your side hustle, getting that business started that you've always wanted to do, or simply having an online resume for yourself, 
you need a website. Something simple, something clean, something that people can find when they look for you. You don't want them to find your Twitter account, your Instagram account, or anything else like that. You want them to find what you want to be shown. That's why I suggest DreamHost for all of your hosting needs. I've used DreamHost for 10 years. They've got awesome plans and great little techniques that will help get you started, including one-click installs of the web's most popular software, WordPress. WordPress powers 30% of the internet, if not more. I use it for all of my sites. You can see it in the footer at the bottom of my sites. It's easy to get started. It walks you right through. Perfect setup for exactly what you need. If you go over to BeBetterTomorrow.com support, click on the link there for DreamHost. You help support the show while getting the website that you need. All right, back to the show. Right. One of the things that helps a person feel invested in or claimed is handwritten notes. And I recently found out about the CEO of Campbell's company that took over the company I believe it was 2001, it was failing, 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 and he was there until 2011, and one of the things he committed to do, I mean, he he turned it around to be very productive. One of the things he committed to do was to write handwritten notes to people in the company, janitors all the way up to project managers, whoever. And over that 10-year period, he wrote 30,000 handwritten notes. That's a lot of notes. That is saying, I am acknowledging your work, your existence, and I'm investing my time, my creativity, my mail (laughs) in you and the morale. I mean, so that's one of my things, too. Write a letter, change the world, two people at a time. Two people. Yes. Well, first let's talk about why people don't write letters. It takes too much time. They don't know what to say. And if I've got a message to get out, I want, I could do a post and thousands of people could read it. If I write a letter, it's just going to go to one person. I want an instant. I want instant message there. We're way beyond when people lived in other countries and it took months to get communication. Because it takes time, you're saying, I value you enough to spend the time to write a letter to you. And the excuse of, I don't know what to say. Well, if you stop, if you have to stop and think about something positive to say to someone, Your very act of writing that letter, thinking of something positive, is releasing, forgive my scientific terminology, happy chemicals in the brain. (laughs) Okay. So if you're writing the letter, it is producing happy chemicals in you. And then when the person receives it, it produces happy chemicals for them. You have to think about what you're going to say, which makes you have to think about positive things unless you're going to just rip somebody off. And those are not the handwritten notes I'm suggesting. Um, <laughs> I guess you, and, and you, the could, other you could write is, it if it's cathartic for you, but just don't send it. Just send it to the shredder after you yeah, write it. And you'll, maybe you'll feel better. Yeah, maybe you will. Maybe you will. 
it, it only goes to one person. Well, yeah, that makes them feel really special. Plus, you can read it over and over. I mean, who goes back to read an email? Emails and texts don't count. Handwritten notes. My, when we celebrate, I mentioned we've been married 45 years, and for my 40, our 45th anniversary, I came to my place where I sit and study, and my husband had written a whole page out of why he loved me, what he appreciated about me, and thanking me for all of our years together and all this stuff. Yeah. It made me cry, and I have that letter, and I can read it again, especially when I'm mad at him. Yeah, uh, that's a man who knows his audience. <laughs> yes, yes. Now I don't, I don't recommend using handwritten notes if you need to call nine one one. Of course, right. But think about the impact. Well, I'll, I don't. You don't have to think about the impact. I discovered a girl, young girl that graduated from college and got a job in New York City and thought she was going to live the sex in the city life. And it wasn't reality. And she got more and more down, really fighting depression. And one day she was riding home on the subway and she saw this lady that looked like she felt. Her shoulders were slumped. Her head was hanging. Her face just was furrowed. And, and she sat there looking at her and thought, I need to write her a love letter. I don't know her, but I need to tell her she's important. That, you know, just give her an encouraging word. Because her mom used to send her, she would find notes that her mom would write her in her book bags or wherever. So she poured herself out in this letter and by the time she finished, she looked up and the woman was gone. Well, she wrote this letter. Well, what was she going to do with it? She folded it up and wrote on the outside, if you find this, it's for you. And she just left it. And it made her feel really good. She had those happy chemicals released in her brain. So she started writing these love letters and just leaving them all over New York City in a doctor's office grocery store, wherever. She just, and would write on it, if you find this, it's for you. And she was blogging about it. She just, she was doing this, nobody knew. And then one day she blogged about it and mentioned it and said, hey, if you want a love letter, let me know. I'll mail you one. She had, I can't remember. It was like a ridiculous response and she couldn't believe it. She now has a website, More Love Letters. The world needs more love letters. I think the address is moreloveletters.com. And you can nominate someone that needs a letter of encouragement. And they're posted if they're selected on her website. And people can write them letters. And she has staff that will hand deliver a bundle of love letters to people. That's amazing. This is a method of acknowledging and investing in people, loving them. This is a way to claim people. Yeah, and to your earlier point, everything else we do is pretty ethereal. You tweet or you put your Facebook status out there and it gets lost into the algorithm and never to be seen again. 
Uh, whereas a letter, I've got thank you cards from people I worked with 20 years ago somewhere here in my house or letters I got from, from somebody at church about something I did, or I even kept one book forever because the, uh, like the vice president of a department I did a project for signed it and said, Hey, appreciate your work. We put this together for our whole team. You're part of the team now and gave it to me. Uh, it's those things because it is that, that moment it's there, it impacts you. And then you can always look back and go, I, you know, I made a connection with somebody here. I accomplished this. Somebody loves me. Somebody cares about me. You can always go back to those things. I know I've always appreciated them. Right. Well, in real estate, when I have a transaction, a closing, especially, I write a thank you note to my client. I mean, a congratulations, you know, you sold your house or bought a house. I write a thank you for, for your work helping us get to the closing table to the other agent and to the closing attorney and the paralegals. And if I've got a buyer, I write one to the lender. And if you want to write a letter, change your business and stand out, especially as an entrepreneur, write letters. And I know that you will stand out because I've been doing real estate for seven years. How many notes have I gotten from other agents? I'm guessing none. I have gotten maybe five. Hmm. So if you want, yeah, if you want to stand out as somebody that really is building community and claiming your people, write them a letter. And, and let's take this in, in that direction. If you're, we're talking to audience members who are working on their side hustle, building a business in whatever area that is, how are some ways they can use this like claiming their customers? We've talked about writing letters, make, you know, making it personal. I know I, I ordered something, I'm trying to remember what it was, from an Amazon seller. And probably a week after I got what I ordered, I got a, an additional thing from them. It was, just, it was a bookmark that was like gold leaf. You know, it wasn't anything expensive. We said, hey, we appreciate you being our customer. And I've used that bookmark ever since it's stuck in my head. Unfortunately, now I can look at that to see what they, you know, who they are, but I don't even remember which order it was because I order so much stuff from Amazon, but it's stuck in my head and I would probably go look them up. It was something electronic. I'm sure if I need something else, I would go look that up again. Right. Well, anything that you can do that shows that you are claiming your people. Well, I write notes to my clients, past clients, after, I mean, you know, I try to write about at least 10 notes a week. I've got my stack of stamped envelopes and my cards sitting right here. I haven't done this week. Other ways, drop bys, anything personal. You know, with our digital age, people have a false security of community. With intention, strong intention, just like your Amazon person, you can build community digitally, but it takes a lot of intention. I think it's because we, we still thrive on that personal connection. We didn't grow as a species. We didn't get there being digital. Our, our relationships were always communal. They were close. They were local. Um, and there was usually a small number of them. You know, I think the Dunbar number of the number of relationships you can have is about 150 you can have meaningful relationships before it just gets to be too much. So even if you've got a hundred thousand friends online, there's a core of people that you're close to and you're probably closer to the people that you are in person with, or at least get some FaceTime with. 
Right. That, might, that might be might me be me being old, but that's, that's the way I feel about no, it. Well, actually, what it is is we are social beings. We are meant to be interacting socially in person. And with all the digital involvement of the younger generation, that explains a lot about why suicides have gone up. Because we need interaction with other humans. We need touch, feel. We need the physical touch of another person. We need community. We need to know that we're claimed. Talking about children in orphanages and being claimed, I saw a statistic that I was not happy to see, but yet not surprised. As much as we try to do, and as much as it's not the fault of the child, our foster system, foster care system, needs or something. And the foster parents do what they can, but the children deep inside know or feel that they're not claimed. But I saw the statistic that the foster organization, I guess national, put out. Do you know what percentage, and maybe I've told you in a previous conversation, what percentage of people in prison have been through the foster system? You did not, but I'm going to guess it's fairly high. Right. I'm going to go 35%. 80. Really? 80% of people in prison have been through the foster care system. Hmm. They weren't claimed. That is, that is a dangerous side effect of people not being claimed. The rise of suicide has a lot to do with it not being claimed and we're not being claimed because we have a false sense of connection with the digital world we need more front porches <laughs> that's true i don't think there's a, more more than half the houses in my neighborhood even have front porches they might have a stoop but it's not anything you can sit out on and see your neighbors we take walks through our neighborhood all the time and there's a one or two people that are always out but other than that everyone's air conditioning to air conditioning Netflixing and not seeing who our neighbors are. Right. Uh, it, we've gone back to, you know, the man, every man has his castle. Well, the moat is around it and the drawbridge is the garage door. That's a modern castle. You go inside and you, you pull the drawbridge and nobody comes in. But we need to break bread around the table and have community, build community. I grew up in a small Mississippi town and a very famous citizen of my town was born in 1933. Did I tell you about Donald Triplett? No, I don't think you did. He was autism's case one. He was autism's first child. Born in 1933, first case. When he was two or three, two, his mother was told there was no hope for him. He had to be institutionalized. And thinking that a medical doctor knew what he was talking about, see, she subjected her son to 
a year plus a little of being in an institution. She was allowed to visit him once a month. And after that period of time, she realized that he was just getting worse and worse and worse. Of course, she said, forget this, I'm bringing him home. And because of my small community town that embraced him, they knew he was odd, but they didn't treat him as an oddity. They loved on him. They chose him as their own. They acknowledged he was different, but people invested in him, helping him learn things. And they knew he was made for greatness. He was able to go to the uh, public school. He actually went to college, majored in French and something else. He worked at his dad's bank. He, he would uh, impress people. He could ride by a brick building and tell you how many bricks were in the building. If you ask him about his dad, you know, tell me about your dad. What do you remember about your dad? Well, he was five nine, and I mean, he just knew numbers about people. He is still alive. He plays golf, drives a car, and because the uh, my little quiet little hometown of five thousand people claimed him, he th was able to thrive. In contrast to the children that have gone through the foster system that were not claimed. Right. I just think that's interesting comparison. Hmm. Nobody knew what autism was. They didn't know to call it autism, but that's what it was, is. I'll see if I can look that up and then I'll link it in the show notes for anybody who wants to check that out later. Uh, I feel like we're, we're getting towards the end of our time. Is there anything else you want to make sure we cover? I want to know from your listeners if this message of being claimed, not just connected, resonates. I'm writing a book called ah, Claimed. And, hmm. uh, I never would have guessed. <laughs> never would have guessed. The more I uh, work on it, the more I find information, like the Campbell's guy writing notes and the prison statistic and Donald Triplett and all these different things. The more I, I believe in this concept that we need to claim people. And um, if this resonates, if you feel claimed or you don't feel claimed, how has that impacted your life? Another thing I did was that I have available, if anybody's interested, I realized that we did a great job of making sure our kids feel part of the Irby clan. Then five, so far, five of our children have gotten married and I didn't, I, you know, I know they know they're connected to the family. Do they officially feel claimed? So I sat down and I wrote a letter to each one of my children in love and went, the letter just goes through the C-L-A-I-M. I'm so glad you were chosen to be. And I, you know, I didn't say the same thing, but I used the acrostic for each letter. And especially mm -hmm. when I got to be acknowledged, I just went through all the things that are so special about that 
person and how they match my child they married and and they're made for greatness that they're, they're building a legacy in the family and they're you know and I wrote it to and mailed it to each of them I have a template for that if anyone's interested I say if you give me the link to that or if, uh, if you've got a website yeah. I'll get your website and social media and we'll put all that in the show notes as well so you can find all the ways to reach out to you okay that'd be great okay well like I said we'll get I'll get all those links from you We'll put in the show notes since it's a podcast. A lot of people don't don't write things down anyway, but they'll come by the website and get that. Um, since you admitted you didn't get quite get the end of this because you got on a bunny trail with some of the other stuff that we do while you're researching me, I'm gonna I'm gonna end this show the way uh, we end all of our shows by asking you, what are you doing today to be better tomorrow? I am learning, reading, studying, absorbing, observing. Every day you should learn something new and that makes you better the next day. I agree. Well, Dia, thank you so much for your time. My listeners will find everything at bebettertomorrow.com slash 11. It'll get you to Dia's show notes page with everything we've talked about, uh, links to all the white papers and templates that she has. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to bebettertomorrow.com so you don't miss any of our wonderful episodes coming up. I look forward to hearing from you soon and I hope you will be better tomorrow. All right, for those of you listening, I just wanna let you know that Dia is absolutely a woman who practices what she preaches. Just a few days after our interview, I got a wonderful handwritten card for her and so did my daughter congratulating her on her podcast, Reading Radio. So. If you do nothing else, make sure you check out Dia's information. Learn as much as you can from her about how to build community because building connections, community, and relationships is really a lot about what being a leader is all about. I hope you'll join us next week. Subscribe to Be Better Tomorrow so that you can hear all of our latest episodes. You can subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, basically wherever you can find podcasts. There we are. The music that you're hearing is by Income Tech, uh, Kevin McLeod specifically, released under a Creative Commons license, as is this podcast, which means you can reuse it in any non-commercial ma- manner you want, as long as you give me credit. And if you're still stuck in through all of this, I greatly appreciate it, and I just ask you to share with all of your friends so that we can all be better tomorrow. <laughs>